Lucas Vogel Sang is a founder of Centrifuge, a credit platform that brings real-world assets on-chain. Real-world assets have been a growing sector in DeFi over the last year. In our conversation, we'll talk about how RWAs are bridging the gap between TradFi and DeFi, how the process of bringing institutional lenders and matching with real-life borrowers works, what protections are in place in case of loan defaults, and what the future looks like for this sector. But first, Lucas will provide an overview of Centrifuge. DeFi was built as a financial system, not just for, I think, like crypto native assets and like facilitate digital transactions. But of course, people want to use it for like real real world business, whether that's like buying a house or trading with each other and, and, and so on. Right. And ultimately, like even like going all the way back to Bitcoin, um, like Bitcoin was like a reaction to like the 2008 financial crisis, right? So like, how do we build a better financial system? And for me, like real world assets is just how do we use the technology that the early, early pioneers in crypto, like the first DGENs to use DeFi, like have built and kind of like built up. And how do we make that useful for for a much broader audience, right? So that like every... Like my, my belief is in the future, every asset will be tokenized, right? Like it's just going to be like, instead of email letters, people are sending emails today, instead of like trading paper securities or paper debt, people will be moving tokens around. Um, but of course, like we have to build a lot of these bridges to bring like illegal, these legal assets that like have some kind of offering, regulation, et cetera, different requirements on chain and how do we like allow them then to use these DeFi protocols. And that's where like Centrifuge really started. So we were like very early on, like maybe if you like go back to 2017, 18, there were a lot of tokenization startups, um, ICO projects that said, oh, we're going to bring Tesla shares on chain um, or we're going to bring, we're going to do this or that. But the problem always was like, there isn't really, there wasn't really a DeFi ecosystem to use them with. And so you ended up with like projects that tried to bring assets on chain, but there weren't any users for it. So when we started with Centrifuge, we always said, oh, like, how do we make, how do we actually enable users that have these assets to do something with it? And the first thing we could come up with is like, okay, like we want this to be, to back die the stable coin. So actually in 2020, 2019 and 2020, we actually did a first test transaction with Maker. And then in 21, actually on mainnet, we first um, minted die based on new and uh, real estate. And so like the part that Centrifuge does is kind of like, we allow these issuers to bring all these different uh, assets on chain, kind of bundle them in a pool, and then like investors can invest, invest like stable coins and get kind of like start earning interest against them. And there's like a legal structure that gives them legal recourse. Uh, there's like transparency into the portfolio, like you can look at it and see all the different assets that are in there. And then like then, right, like then you can have things being built on top of that composability or like such as like secondary markets trading, lending, borrowing, stablecoin collateral, right? That like we're kind of now seeing more and more happening. And that's where I think like like real world assets are, are kind of going today. Basically what uh, Centrifuge allows is companies who have who have these assets or issuing these assets, say a stock or uh, could it also be um, something like an invoice or just like you know, actual company assets can be put on this, like in this protocol and then borrow against that or no? Yeah. So we focus on basically bringing credit funds and asset backed securities on chain. <clears throat> what that means is um, we bring debt, right? Like whether that's real estate uh, financing or uh, trade finance or like invoices or like, for example, um, like, like uh, goods while they're in transit, right? Like you want to maybe have, be able to borrow against it. Like you have a container ship full of copper going from uh, Asia to the US. Like you want to borrow against the copper, the millions of dollars of copper that are on there, right? So commodities finance. So like these kind of assets, like typically they're, how this works today is you have like a credit fund or an originator, an issuer that goes out and finds these borrowers, right? A real estate investor, a homeowner, home buyer, or a business that wants to borrow. And then they find a bank or a investment fund that will then 
uh, finance these transactions and they'll originate these loans and, and kind of either sell them or create a fund. And so the, the easiest way to describe centrifuge is kind of that like it, we're taking this, this activity and creating an on-chain credit fund that's governed by smart contracts where instead of uh, these loans getting handled off-chain and paper and kind of like everything is done manually, like payments coming going out to the originators, uh, out to the borrowers, sorry, like they, they, they get registered on chain, then like interest starts accruing and as they're getting paid back, like investors start accruing this interest and they can like claim some of these um, cash flows back and kind of like all of this, all of these transactions are um, handled on chain. And I think an important part of that is that um, when you look at these transactions today, like it's really quite crazy that in that like a lot of this finance world, like sure it happens online and to some extent, but it hasn't properly been digitized. So like when you think of invoice financing, like factoring, um, like oftentimes you have like between half a percent to 2% in annual fees that like 10 different service providers charge that are all kind of disconnected. So we have someone that values the individual invoice, someone that like does risk management on like maybe the borrowers. You have a, a company that just does auditing and reporting to the investors. You have the lawyers that make sure that all the paperwork is in order, right? And they all like, basically they send around spreadsheets. That's like finance is run by spreadsheets today in most cases. There's a very small part of finance, public equities, public bonds, where we have very standardized, right? Like the New York Stock Exchange, like that's obviously automated trading, but that's like the tip of the iceberg. Like most of the other asset classes, what is called private credit, like it, it is these spreadsheets that people send around with like, dozens and dozens of people on each end of the of the of the transaction like manually updating certain systems and so like, we're trying to like automate all of this because when we automate all of this we cut down a lot of costs we reduce errors and we make this like transparent on chain so like we give like investors a better view into what's actually going on with with the stuff with the assets that they're investing in and, and just to go a small step back on what you said centrifuge is is not in in the in in the kind of process of connecting these business borrowers with lenders directly it's more like one step after that in in kind of managing those loans once they've already been done so it's like okay the the business uh, seeks out a bank um to take out a loan those loans are um are uh, are agreed upon and then it's it's kind of these securities what's being put on chain and the centrifuge is like the platform to facilitate payments from um the the uh, holders of the loan and the borrower i guess yeah so like the reason i would say yeah we're not yet not yet, emphasis on yet, talking like directly interacting with the end borrowers, right? And the reality is why is that is because like maybe you and me would be happy in receiving a loan in USDC to buy a house, but most people don't want that, right? Like most people, when they buy a house, they need to get their dollars in a bank account. They don't know, they don't have a crypto wallet. They don't know how it works. They don't need, definitely don't want to touch it, um, right? And so like it's, it's, I would say it's too early for like a, crypto to be so ubiquitous, right, that we that we could run the whole from initial borrower to like all the way to the investor, like all of that is on chain. So we work with issuers um, that originate these loans. So they, they they talk to the potential home buyer and they give them dollars, they give them a paper contract to sign and then they tokenize those contracts. And then like the investors can basically invest in a pool of, of, of these contracts, basically like the, the issuer, whether that's New Silver or Block Tower, right? Like they put together a portfolio of these assets. Most of these borrowers, like the end the end recipients of the money, they don't actually even know that crypto is involved at all. Like I think like you know in all in all of our like all of our borrowers I would say they don't they have no idea that that like this is coming through like Ethereum. Um, because it's just it, it's it's too early for that, right? Um, and so, so these, but these issuers are kind of like these businesses that kind of act as mul like multipliers, right? They're like where a lot of volume comes together and we can work with them to actually onboard into crypto and start using it to operate, to, to simplify their operations. And then like, um, 
have investors invest on chain instead of like calling up the issuer and saying, hey, I'd like to buy part of your own portfolio. Can you send me a PDF contract that I can sign and do my due diligence and like wire the money like a week later? Like it's it's like, oh, I'd like to invest in real estate. Let me um, sign a subscription agreement online. Uh, so send USDC or die to this pool and then like receive the tokens that are my interest in, in this pool. The truth is we're not all on the same playing field. Puedo mandarle dinero a mi familia, pero quién sabe cuánto llegará. That's where builders can help. You understand that one unique problem. Let's bring balance to an imbalanced world. Stella, where blockchain meets the real world. What, what is the net implication for the borrower? Do you think they are receiving higher or lower rates because of the issuer using like on-chain uh, and on-chain, on like putting these uh, securities on-chain? Like, I guess like the question is, can are, are these issuers putting loans in centrifuge um, and getting investors to in to invest in these loans? Um, is the rate that they're seeing lower or that, than, than kind of if, if they were to, to be getting these same investments off chain or is it similar? Like, um, yeah, how, how does that uh, compare just just to to see whether the, the end borrower, are, are they getting a better deal because uh, they sure is using like a, an on-chain uh, platform? So there's, there's a few reasons why people want to use DeFi. I think there's a few short-term reasons. Um, one is that a lot of them just simply like to have an alternative to, to um, work like kind of a bank, right, as a lender. And they're just like, hey, I'm super happy that I can borrow from Maker as an issuer instead of like from, from Bank of America. Um, but, and that's like very valuable to them because like, you know, you never know if a bank is gonna still want to lend you money next day and like having an alternative is actually quite, quite helpful. Um, in the end though, right, when you look at it, like it's not like DeFi is magically, like people are willing to lend money at lower costs in DeFi because, well, like if I can make more money lending in TradFi, then I would just lend in TradFi. Um, and likewise, if I would have to pay more to borrow money in DeFi than in TradFi, then if I have an option to borrow in TradFi, I would obviously borrow in TradFi. Now, so you need to make sure that actually both lenders and borrowers get an equally attractive deal because otherwise you have the adverse selection, right? That you only get bad borrowers. If your cost of capital is higher, like you're, you're only going to get the borrowers that like no one in TradFi wants to finance. And it's like this adverse selection is a, a, a really big, big challenge. So, but there's obviously places where this actually changes and there's, there's two, um, kind of two things around real world assets, why they make sense and why they're going to like improve, uh, the offering both for lenders and borrowers. The first thing I already briefly touched on, which is like this whole issuance process is like terribly inefficient today. And by making that efficient, you can shave off like 0.1% here, 0.2% there. Like you kind of do this, right? You also get other benefits like, you know, like you don't need to settle separately, right? Like I say, I want to invest. I put the stable coins in and I get the tokens. Like I can tell you the number of uh, hours wasted in banks on like tracking dollars and making sure that the dollars actually flowed after like an agreement was signed, it's astronomical, right? So there's things like that, that the technology will just allow. There's 24 seven trading, right? Or 24 seven kind of transfers and all of that. So there, there's things like that that improve it, but actually the really, really big part, and that's still yet to come, is um, what is it? The illiquidity premium. So when you look at, <clears throat> A Google bond today, right? I can buy a million dollars worth of Google's debt or like US treasuries and today and like, like tomorrow I can sell it. And I know there's always a market price and very likely someone will buy it. So I have immediate liquidity. What does that mean for me is like I'm very willing to buy it because I know I can sell it. And I know many people believe that this Google bond is worth the same as I believe it is, right? So I know I get kind of a fair price because there is a market that discovers this price. 
Now, I use the Google bond as an example because actually the, most of these assets today are like, like very illiquid and only like the very top end, right? US treasuries, public equities, uh, some very large companies that have public bonds, right? Those assets are really liquidly tra like traded in a, in a very liquid way. But the vast majority, like in numbers, but also in total dollars of assets are actually what is considered private debt. So it's not on a public market. There isn't a really easily discernible public price. And so there actually the problem is now, if I buy a loan portfolio of real estate loans and I don't know that I can sell it and I don't know what the price is, and worst case, maybe I need to hold it for two years until it matures. Now, I need to be able to I need much more safety and, and like it's much harder for me to make that decision. And so in the end, that means that actually to borrow money, if you're in one of these asset classes, it's much more expensive because as an investor, it's so much harder to trade and sell and kind of price these assets. And that's what's called the illiquidity premium. And now why am I talking about this? Because well, like, right, like one thing that's magical about DeFi is that by being 24-7 fully automated and smart contract governed, actually a lot of these like, transactions are so cheap that you will start to see liquidity for assets that are very small, right? Like on, on, on Uniswap, a token that has a $100,000 market cap, like you can still have active trading. It can, like you can have $20,000 in Uniswap liquidity and it works, right? Like that, like in, in, the, in TradFi, you need to have like a $10 billion asset class and like people trading it all the time for like there really to be a liquid market, AMM's completely changed this. Likewise, you can use Aave to like borrow and lend 24-7 like $100 of assets, which like a bank would never do, right? Because it's just too expensive for them. And so that means that this technology actually is going to change like this very small part of public assets today to grow and grow and grow. And that actually then removes this illiquidity premium. That then means that as a borrower and you're getting paid, you have to pay a lot less to access this capital. So that is where like, that is why I'm excited about like where this is all going. It's because like DeFi actually has this opportunity to kind of like make more of these assets tradable, like easily priced, more liquid. And that's generally good for, for everyone involved, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so where we're at now with centrifuge and real world assets, I guess it's in the um, capital efficiency example that you listed first, kind of this like shaving off basis points because uh, you are, you know, cutting intermediaries because a settlement and like clearing is done on chain. And so this, this can make um, a, a, like the rate a bit cheaper uh, for, for borrowers potentially, um, but it's not like a huge um, you know, like a 10x improvement. But your argument is that where it really matters is in is when uh, borrowers and, and investors can start leveraging or benefiting from the increased liquidity that DeFi um, and AMMs provide uh, for these in instruments. And I guess like we're we're not there yet. So I think we're seeing the first kind of steps in that direction. Like, for example, about a year ago, we launched an, a kind of a, a pilot with where we, together with Aave, like deployed a, a version of the Aave market that was the RWA market, where you could like 24-7, like deposit and withdraw, like kind of lending to real world assets. Um, that itself was like kind of a first first pilot, as I said, but, but like that was a step in that direction, right? Um, actually, one one project I'm really excited about is uh, Maw from Violet. It's a fork of Uniswap v3, but a key difference is that they have a, a license to trade securities. So it's actually the first, to my knowledge, the first non-custodial uh, exchange with KYC and AML. And it's obviously like a, a huge issue or a big requirement actually for, for real assets because they touch, they're very regulated, right? Like everything, like the, the pools and centrifuge, they're usually securities. Um, or debt instruments, but they're, they're regulated. So like there needs to be a regulated version of Uniswap and like Mauve actually just launched a few weeks ago, I think. And, and so like that is, for example, like a, something where I, I expect to like see like volumes come up and first liquidity to come. But of course, like, like two years ago, we couldn't do that because like first we have to create the assets so that we then can create the market. Um, 
and and so that's that's kind of happening now. So I, I think yeah, we're we're kind of making progress on the first first part of this whole real asset thesis. The second part, I think we're we're going to see like quite an hopefully quite an explosion in 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 the next year of like just people experimenting, stuff being tried out, um, right? Like the first like lending markets that are like specifically focused on real world assets, um, like other other kind of DeFi protocols and like kind of making these DeFi primitives we have today kind of work for for these asset classes. So here's something new. Bumper your assets to defend them from price drops without losing upside exposure. You set a price floor and term length, then lock your tokens into the protocol. When your term ends, if the price has fallen under your floor, you leave with stablecoins at the floor value. Otherwise, you just take your original asset back. Benefit from 30% cheaper premiums than options, or earn 3-18% to real yield as a liquidity provider. Bumper just launched and is offering a share in $250,000 of Bump tokens to early users. Do you think that so far, if we make an analogy of where uh, DeFi is and kind of uh, the evolution so far, it's been um, focused on mostly tokens that look more like equity, like, you know, the ICOs and, and now uh, tokens issued on um, Uniswap pools. Uh, they they are similar they're, they are more similar to equity than debt um, mm -hmm. so it, is, is the next step for for like the the debt part of um, of the market to 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 uh, become as mature as kind of the equities uh, part of, of of DeFi has and will that look like do you think that that can be as fluid as kind of the 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 equity quote unquote part of DeFi has been like, and I'm thinking of something as um, you know as simple or streamlined as you know there's a DAO or or there's a, a an DeFi application or Web three application that has um, a DAO or like an on chain treasury. And they can go to Centrifuge or you know another DeFi protocol, and um, and borrow against uh, that treasury, and and it'll you know simply be just like like you said, just like a twenty four seven market where it's super liquid, and they can issue these like tokenized bonds based on their on chain assets, and people can just you know, traders can just, investors can just go and easily buy and sell those bonds out of uh, pools that are just custom made for this use case. So, so if you look at the traditional market, a large majority of the activity actually happens in debt, not in equities, right? Um, like real estate is one of the largest asset classes. Um, like we have, um, so are like other, like trade finance is massive, right? Um, Lending and borrowing in general is like a big, big part of the industry, and like you always need access to money, and and like oftentimes you you have like other assets that you want to collateralize against it. I think the like, I think a large part of what we need to build though is infrastructure so that we can safely borrow a uh, lend against illiquid assets, because when you look at the market today, right, like like the idea that everything is hyper liquid and can be immediately liquidated at any kind of scale uh, doesn't really um, doesn't really hold true for for most assets that exist right like for example um, a a DAO is not going to be able to like take their own utility token and use it as collateral right like that would be like like that's there's oftentimes not enough liquidity and like kind of like very uh, weird incentives. But if you have cash flows um, coming in and say you're a business and you can show like recurring revenue, probably someone will want to lend against a claim against this revenue, right? Um, a lot of this though will always require like a legal system to be in place that will ensure that if you are lending against these um, cash flows, you actually get them, 
right? That you can enforce it because otherwise what's going to stop the borrower from just like doing it five times over and not giving anyone any money. Um, and so that, so it, it, I think it will look a bit different than kind of this hyper liquid, very anonymous um, system that we have today, because a lot of the, the lending relies on reputation and, um, and kind of like known identity that, that does, that we don't really have yet in, in DeFi. Um, so I think that's something that will come. Um, but I, but on the other hand, I think like a lot of DAOs will start owning, um, real world assets like I don't know whether that's tokenized treasury bills or others and they might like actually start lending and borrowing against that right for example a use case could be uh, a climate focused DAO will buy a whole bunch of um, a whole bunch of carbon project uh, carbon uh, carbon credit projects and then they just they have all these tokens that at, we know have some value, but they maybe need to do a small investment in something and they'll go to the lending protocol and say, here, we have these tokens and we'd like to uh, borrow just some money for like this unexpected expense and we'll like pay back at a later point and here, take these carbon credits as collateral. I, I think something like that could that could definitely happen um, or, or will happen in the future. It's interesting the point that, that you made about uh, the need to include or I incorporate the the actual real life legal system uh, to any kind of uh, lending sort of protocol um, because yeah like how do you en enforce these contracts um, and and so yeah it would be great if you can uh, walk us through how that works on centrifuge how it works today is actually um, there's not one definition of ownership and legal recourse there's like a huge spectrum. For example, um, if you lease a car, your car title in the US, actually there's a line in the title where it says, Bank of America is leasing you this car and they're actually the owner, right? Um, but if you are talking about a Pokemon trading card, there isn't a title for this trading card where you can put this in. But then there's liens that you can file with the government uh, for certain business borrowing. Um, <clears throat> real estate, for example, has a, a, a land register, like for, for example, in, in Europe, and I don't know about the US, but, but like you, if, you, if you get a, 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 a real estate mortgage, then actually the government knows who is lending against this, this house. And so there's a very clear order, um, like the first priority lender gets the money first or gets the house, and if there's any money left after that, then maybe the second lien get some money, right? So long story short, right? I think there's, there's a lot of nuance. I think in the end, what we did with Centrifuge is always to find the way that we can use these existing laws, but like delegate as much authority as possible to the, to the smart contracts. So for example, um, right, this real estate pool, there, all of these loans are pledged to a legal entity. But instead of that legal entity having paper contracts with investors that determine who's invested how much, um, there's a, a contract that you sign as an investor that says um, you use the centrifuge smart contracts to give stable coins to this pool and you receive tokens in return. And you holding these tokens means that you have a claim against these assets. And anyone else that holds tokens also has a claim, right? And so now the token is actually the claim, how you prove your ownership in this. And like that's possible today already in many legal systems. Um, the US allows for that simply by like having actually no clear, there's no rule that forbids you from saying the token is how you transfer ownership. Um, and in, in some, there's some exceptions, but in some instances you can make it work like that. In Switzerland, there's a law that says you are allowed to take a company and tokenize the shares and say that the token is the actual share. It's not just some weird workaround, but it's actually like the token is a share, right? So I think there's going to be many, many different ways that we're all approaching this and there are different trade-offs, whether it's cost, security, uh, which jurisdiction you're doing it in. In the long run, I think we'll arrive at a couple of, of ways that we think it makes sense. Similarly to how the government realized hundreds of years ago that they need to keep track of who owns what land, right? And they created the land register. Um, probably in the future, we'll, we'll say, oh yeah, like the government realizes that 
tokenizing some of these assets and creating registries on, on a blockchain is actually a much better way to do this. And then suddenly we'll be able to like have NFTs for our property titles or cars or whatever else it is. I think we'll, we'll get there at some point, obviously though, like the regulations moving a lot slower than technology is. So that will take some time. In the meantime, there's going to be like a lot of this, like navigating different exemptions, uh, rules in the law that kind of allow for this and figuring out which situation works for what kind of assets. But no, unfortunately, no, like one size fits all answer. Have any of the defaults on Centrifuge been taken to um, court? Yeah, yeah, they have. Um, a good example is um, Harbor Trade and a um, default in one of their lenders, uh, borrowers, excuse me, and um, and how they've been communicating it to Maker and kind of like the, the legal kind of proceeding that are ongoing. So it is ongoing. I, there is no, to my knowledge, um, kind of resolved situation. So I can't really point to an example there, but yeah, like, like there are, um, defaults always happen. Um, in, and so what you have to do then is like start, like, like get into a, get in, get into discussions with lawyers and figure out, okay, how do you, um, basically push the, the borrower into a default and kind of start negotiating with them, try to figure out how do you settle, how do you claim the property? And then that's, that, that is happening. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, Okay, so in it depends. I guess it depends on each specific uh, contract or uh, loan. But on centrifuge, I guess like the idea is that for each specific case, there there is some legal recourse for yeah. lenders in case of yeah. default. Yeah, I think our we've always been very conservative, uh, which sometimes made us slower and sometimes made it made things definitely harder. But I think if we can't get to a point where these assets on chain are equally safe, equally protected than assets off chain, right? Then why would I want to use this stuff? Because ultimately the most important thing is that like in credit is that you don't lose money, right? And so the safer we can make these assets that really not having any kind of like unstable things in, in this, in these structures, the better. Right. And if we're, if we're worse, right. If, if DeFi is worse in, in legal recourse in kind of safety, then like there's no point in using it because you don't want to get a worse deal. Right. So, so yeah, I think that's, that's, um, been our philosophy. Um, and I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot, like there's this, hype around crypto market maker lending, right? Where everything was unsecured and, and like no one really knew what was going on. And I think a lot of those transactions ultimately like, there's a reason why these market makers couldn't get money from a bank. It's because they were so risky and no bank would be able to audit their financials and really know who they're lending to. And so there's probably also a reason why you shouldn't just lend to them at least the term, at the terms we did at the time, right? I think the market learned a lot from that for me, that that kind of was was like clear. Like we don't want to uh, basically create worse assets than than what exists uh, off chain because that that just is creating a worse product for our users. Before we continue, a quick word from our sponsor, Unlimit. Grow your business with Unlimit borderless payment solutions. Leverage one of the world's largest proprietary payments infrastructures available in Europe, LATAM, APAC, Africa, and the UK. Now back to our show. I'd like to go over like some of the um, like specific products that I'm seeing on your website. So I'm seeing that you have almost 250 million in uh, TVL and that uh, almost half is coming from, from one specific pool. Um, that's the Block Tower Series 4. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to, you know, if, if you can kind of walk walk me through how this specific pool that's, yeah, that's like a holding, um, it says 100, uh, 100 million die. Yeah. In It says structured credit. Yeah, so like to put it into like a concrete example with, with this uh, pool, how how centrifuge is working. Yeah, so so Block Tower is one of our 
are big partners and um, the 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 thing we've been the, the deal we've been working together on with them and maker is basically was um, a lot of work on the legal side and on the structuring side to like basically bring like a professional asset manager and and um, hedge fund a block tower into like building a very scalable much larger structure so um, what it is is it's it's um, block tower has basically said we believe real assets are a, a huge opportunity we'd like to work with Sony Future actually bring a new class of assets to Maker um, and and then they kind of like started negotiating Maker agreed to 150 million dollars in debt ceiling across um, across two different pools blocked out of four and five uh, those two are um, like asset backed securities that's um, for example like sometimes credit card receivables, consumer loans, um, auto loans, right? Like a, a car lease um, or like other um, kind of like loan products. So different different kind of like buckets of loans. And Block Tower here is basically constructing a portfolio for Maker uh, of, of these assets and then um, minting DAI with it and backing backing DAI with it. And, and they're actually providing the junior capital. So they're, they're basically taking any first loss in case something happens. They're providing like 30% of their own capital um, to like make up for any defaults um, if, if there are. And, um, and so that, that, was, that is one of our, our biggest pools today. So how, how does it work? Like Block Tower uh, goes out and, and buys all these uh, pools of, of loans? From from like a bank? Yeah, from banks, from okay. uh, originators, for example, right? Like, I I don't actually know which I, I don't know which brands are in there, but one example would be a leasing company. I don't know Ford, for example. Ford says, okay, we have we we're selling cars to our consumers to our buyers. We would like to um, finance them. Do you want to buy ten million dollars worth of car loans for the new Ford truck? And they'll say, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll look at this. We, we're interested in buying it. Um, basically, then they buy these, these, lo these loans and they start getting interest payments from the borrowers and the borrowers, right, the car purchasers, they're starting to pay back these leases and then like kind of start paying down. And Blocktar just keeps getting these, um, getting these payments or the, the pool here gets these payments. And then, like, of course, the interest is accrued to, um, to Maker and the junior investors. And so what role does Maker play here? Maker is one of the lenders, right? So Maker provides, um, let me see, they provide in, in the, of the 100 million, they provide about 70 million die in capital, in senior capital, and Block, Block Tower is providing 300, uh, 3 million, 30 million in, uh, in junior capital. So, so Maker, Maker is basically saying, yeah, we'd like to have exposure to structured credit. Um, so there's a generally very institutional, like, large asset classes um, like consumer credit right or or um, auto and and then like they're saying okay like well, yeah we like this we'd like to give you a line of credit effectively and block tower can start starts filling this and buying these assets to kind of construct this portfolio it says it's four percent APR and that's the rate that uh, block tower and maker are getting from uh, payments to these um, like pools of, of credit? Structured credit, finance term that um, is, it sounds more complicated than it is. It's basically just you have, generally you, all, you have junior and senior investors in this pool. Sometimes you have multiple tranches, but basically we're like um, a senior investor will take a lower interest rate, but will have the junior investors cover losses first. So um, in this case, actually, Block Tower is, origin is selecting the portfolio and deciding kind of what goes into it, but they're also taking the first 30% of losses. They're making a higher interest rate because they obviously have a much bigger risk, right? Um, but then Maker kind of can know that there's someone with their own capital at stake that's constructing this portfolio and they're willing to kind of lend against at, against this portfolio at a very um, advantageous rate because they know that Block Tower is incentivized to um, do a good job at buying these loans, right? If Maker just took the full loan portfolio, then like Block Tower 
wouldn't necessarily be incentivized to like do the right due diligence, like make sure they buy the right assets because they don't have anything at stake. So in, in this case, um, and so this is always a, a, a big part for us is that actually when you, that it's always important that the issuers on Centrifuge have some of their own money at stake because that's how you kind of align incentives, right? Between the investors and the issuers. Um, so in this case, like um, the 4% is what maker pays. Um, Block Tower is, is, is making more, um, but that kind of always depends on the market. So it's, it's not really fixed. 4% is what Maker makes, right? Yeah, what they get in interest, yeah. Okay, so they get 4% and Block Tower is, is, is getting a higher rate because they're taking that risk. Yeah, exactly. Just going through the, the other pools, there's real estate, um, there is a emerging market, a consumer loans, uh, fintech debt financing, cargo and freight. Uh, that facilities um, so it, it's super interesting you're you know just uh, this this whole new um, asset class of uh, of debt <laughs> I guess is, is being built on on top of centrifuge what are what are some of the interesting um, real world asset uh, use cases that that you see kind of uh, I don't know the more out-of-the-box use cases that you're seeing? So I wouldn't say out-of-the-box, but maybe I think one of the most interesting and at the same time most boring one is definitely treasury bills. Mm, and yeah. this pool is about to launch on Centrifuge, but of course, like also many other RWA protocols have been thinking about treasuries. Um, there's, there's a very clear need for treasury bills on-chain. Um, and that need is only really has been around for a year, less than a year, because until about 10 months ago, uh, treasury bill rates were like 0.2, 0.5, whatever percent, right? So there's no money in it. So the difference between holding USDC and holding a treasury bill, there wasn't, wasn't really big enough, right? Whereas today with treasury yields being 5%, now like it costs you 5% a year in uh, lost interest if you hold USDC versus holding T-bills. Mm -hmm. So now why it's the most boring asset class because it's US government debt, it's as safe as the dollar, right? Because if the US government defaults, both the dollar and treasury bills will be worthless. So it's basically risk-free mm -hmm. because you're, take, you're taking no additional risk over the dollar. Um, but it's also, so, so it's also, it's incredibly boring and at the same time, incredibly useful. So I think when in the past, and this is like a lot of our history, like we started with these private credit assets. We have a whole bunch of different credit assets. And I think, and I talked a lot about why like private credit is so interesting, but actually I think the biggest use case for real world assets in crypto today are real world assets, right? Because, uh, sorry, our treasury bills. Because like you, you have all of these stables, like 150-ish billion, right? that aren't earning any yield. And I think ultimately like all of those should actually instead be buying tokenized treasury bills um, because that's how you earn yield on chain. And so we've, we've, we've spent quite a bit of time figuring out a good legal structure. I think um, with treasury bills, it's really important, right? That you find a structure that gives you good legal recourse. Ultimately we went with a regulated fund in the BVI because um, like a lot of the exemptions that we that you see in the U.S. being used, I think are, are it's, it, there's quite a lot of risk involved if like the issuer goes bankrupt that that, that we don't like. Um, so like actually, like Animoy, the the issuer, like we spent a lot of time kind of like making sure that we have a very safe legal structure because when you're when you're investing in treasury bills, you don't want to take any risk, right? Like you're mm -hmm. really just you want cash, um, almost. And so that, that was one of the things we did. The other thing that we did is like, what we want to do is we really want to give you full transparency into the portfolio live 24 seven on chain. So like one big difference between Centrifuge and other products is that we really go from the individual asset to like the token that you hold and give the investors and the issuers kind of like this, this process and this transparency. And that, makes it safer and easier to manage, right? Because you really see what's going on. 
Um, one of the big things we're working on is actually getting um, oracles into it so that you have a, a price feed reported on what the underlying treasuries are worth that isn't just trusting the issuer, which all of these um, all of these products today, you kind of there's always some trust involved in it. And that's that's kind of important to um, to to have, right? And so we're kind of like innovating on on improving improving the product here so that you kind of can start replace more and more of those stables with treasury bills and then from there go into okay now I ha I'm earning my five percent yield now I maybe want to get seven eight nine percent right and that's then I can go into real estate trade finance emerging markets whatever whatever it is but I think like this the treasury bills is where the action's at right now okay and, and so how this works is you said you you set up a fund in uh the uh, BVI and so that fund is is buying just treasury bills directly and then I, I guess is it like a like a, a tokenized piece of the fund what is going on on centrifuge and people are buying those tokens or yeah yeah How? so again a, a large challenge was to find a jurisdiction and legal structure that allowed basically a fund to issue tokens instead of shares, right? Mm. And with the BVI legal structure that Animoy has, they're actually able to do that. And that comes with a few benefits um, because um, what, what it means that you have a registered fund actually is that the financial authorities in the BVI or really in any jurisdiction, they'll, they know exactly how to unwind this in case something goes wrong, right? Again, like a lot of this stuff is about protecting the downsides. Like when you're building credit and kind of other assets, like it's always about how do you prevent like the worst case scenario from happening? So a big part of how the BVI fund structure works is like, say I'm an investor and I'm going to the financial regulators um, and I'm saying, hey, look, like this uh, issuer, they're not giving me my money back. What the issue, will, what the BVI regulator will do is we'll say oh, they'll go to the bank that has the treasury bills and says, OK, we're taking over. This fund is now being liquidated. We know all of the investors because we can look at the token balances and we go to them and say, look, here's your treasury bills in cash. Do you want yeah. actually do you want treasury bills or do you want us to basically sell the treasury bills and give you cash? Right. So like this redemption process, and it's very important that this works really well, because the worst case scenario is what we know from, T from FTX, right? Did you have an extremely expensive bankruptcy proceeding? No one really knows what's going on and you have to have the courts fight over what's gonna happen and you have an expensive liquidator come in and then like kind of start winding down, right? So, so bankruptcy, um, if it's not structured well, can be slow and very expensive. And that means then that like, you maybe not see your money for a year if something goes wrong, uh, maybe two years. Mount Gox is still, right getting liquidated mm -hmm. um and and then also right like you have all sorts of costs that you you, you don't really know about um at, at the at the uh, at the beginning and so i think that is like a that was an important consideration but ultimately what this means yes like when you um kind of deploy funds into animoy you sign a legal agreement that says the tokens that you receive are the claim against the fund and the fund is very strictly regulated, audited, right? Like reviewed by the by the by the uh, financial regulators, um, such that um, it's structured in a way that um, doesn't that like makes it makes it safe and kind of a sound structure. Looking to grow your community's trust in your project? Explore UNCX Network, the home of liquidity locking and secure DeFi token services. With over 4,000 locks created and a TVL upwards of 200 million, they have a reputation for secure products that developers can rely on. Their services cover most EVM chains and include an ILO launchpad, token vesting, token minting, staking, and farms as a service, and the most reputable liquidity lockers on the market. What are the requirements or what will be uh, the requirements to invest in treasuries uh, via centrifuge? Uh, like, will it be a KYC process? Is it for institutional investors or can anyone invest? Yeah, all of the issuers on centrifuge today do require KYC. Um, mm -hmm. and, and for example, in the, in the case of uh, the Animoy uh, Treasury Fund, it will be non-US. 
um, just because of the the way they've decided to structure the fund. Um, it just it it makes a lot of sense just because of the regulatory uncertainty in the U.S. that you just blanket exclude this market. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's uh, not it's I don't think this will will be like that for the next ten years. I think we're going to see much more retail friendly more regulated, more accepted structures that the U.S. regulators will approve, right? But to date, um, you don't have a tokenized fund that has gotten approval from the SEC because they simply say, oh, it's not possible. We don't want this to happen. And until that can happen, right, like I think you'll you'll see a lot of like uh, movement away from the U.S. And, and a lot of this like real world asset stuff. Yeah, and again, also just the traditional DeFi stuff, right? It's just getting harder yeah. and harder, unfortunately. And um, I mean, not to go too much into regulation and politics, but but in the end, like that's that's just the thing that can change that in the U.S. is is changes in how the SEC approaches crypto. So it'll be uh, non-U.S. KYC users. um, And is it for uh, just like any retail investor that wants to buy these things or? No. So for now, it's you need a hundred thousand dollar minimum investment. And you need to be a professional investor. So there's certain rules around um, like having a minimum. Um, it's mostly to protect investors to ensure that they know what they're doing. Which in the case of like a treasury bill fund, like I think there's rather low risk um, compared to like, but but just the regulation and, and the BVI is relatively strict there. Uh, we're also looking at other structures, of course. But yeah, like it's, it's um, not retail um, focus. And then I guess then these tokens do you think there there will be like a secondary market for it or because there's these restrictions um they'll just be just like directly held by the the buyers in the primary market so i i, I don't know if it's going to be this fund or another pool in sony future will be first to actually have secondary market liquidity but i know that a lot of these issuers are working towards it and we've been working with like projects like move the, the the exchange and, mm-hmm. and others to figure out okay what is the right legal structure under which we can do this which are the right assets and how do we bootstrap this so i think that whether it's this one or, or another one like it's definitely one of my personal goals for next year is to kind of like explore secondary market liquidity and and figure out how we provide like like build that for users yeah, that, that'd be great to just provide uh, wider access yeah, to T-Bills. Um, and um, you mentioned oracles, uh, and I guess like that's just like a, a key item here in, in like RWA world. Uh, what are you using today? So today uh, there are no oracles. Um, oracles in, in real world assets are quite tricky because... Um, you, th- you would think it's relatively easy to get a price for an asset, but it's actually quite hard. Um, sure, you can get the price of Apple and Google and Microsoft stock and figure out what your tech stock portfolio is worth. You can know what a treasury is traded at, but it very quickly, um, even for relatively large asset classes, um, you stop having like daily prices or even like weekly prices on some of these things. Where like if you have a for example, a, uh, a bond from a large company, you go to Citibank and you ask them, how much do you think this is worth? And then you go to Bank of America and you ask them, how much do you think this is worth? And it'll depend on the traders that are going to give you the quote at those two institutions on, on like how much they think it's worth. And sure, it's not going to be one person saying this is worth $100 and the other person saying this is worth $0. But you know, like there isn't a single price. So oracles, I think, in real assets are going to look different. But there are things that you can bring on chain with oracles. So, for example, what we're working towards is like a lot of times, like for treasury bills is the first thing where we're starting. Um, there actually the prices are easy, but it's not just about the price, but it's also about ensuring that the custodian um, that, ha- that, that holds these securities, the treasury bills, actually has them. So how do you get data from the custody provider, um, the bank account basically, um, on chain so that when the issuer claims they have $100 million worth of 24-week treasury bills, that uh, you can independently verify that the the custodian actually says, yes, we have that many in our deposit. 
Um, and then you can add price data to it, right? And you can add other things. And when you talk about real estate, for example, you might want to have an oracle that attests to the fact that um, the credit score and, and kind of risk profile of the uh, borrowers is, is as expected and as supposed to, or that you have actual like pro properly evaluated properties, right? Like comparing them to other uh, houses nearby and making sure that there are new, no huge outliers. So it's much more stuff like that than like, what's the price of ETH, right? Um, and so I think this, the Oracle question is a big one in, 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 um, in real world assets in TradFi in general, like it's all about data, right? It's not just bringing the data on chain, but it's like figuring out how to agree on, on using the right kind of data together and, and kind of making sure we both agree on like how we value this portfolio. So right now you're, um, are you building this out yourself or is, are you relying on somebody like a third party? <clears throat> we're talking to a few different Oracle providers, but the, there's one project we have that we're trying to build within the maker community together with the maker Oracle's team, Chronicle. Mm. Um, they're, uh, I would say, low-key, one of the kind of fundamental finance, globally, what is it? What is the term in, the, in finance? Uh, globally, uh, uh, significant like banks that are too big to fail. I think in, in the same mm -hmm. way, like Chronicle is like a massively important infrastructure piece of maker. They've been running these oracles for many, many years, actually without any issues. And um, we were working with them on figuring out how do we bring uh, treasury prices on chain live. Um, and that's, that's actually quite an interesting project. A couple of like specific questions before we uh, we wrap up. If, if you have a couple of minutes, um, one is on your token. So um, you have this CFG token. Um, what's uh, like what's the utility? What how is it kind of incorporated in the protocol? Uti the utility in the protocol is basically that these issuers are paying transaction fees to um, the DA treasury to basically access uh, sending futures as a platform. And uh, ultimately like CFG token holders control those funds and can decide what to do with it. So in, 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 in a way it's like just, it's similar to a lot of the fee tokens in, in DeFi. Um, <clears throat> and then I think that, and then there's the other aspect of the token, which are ideas that are being discussed in, in governance right now and on the forum and in other places around like, can we use actually CFG as a way to curate and underwrite assets so that um, like people who don't have experience in credit can kind of rely on like like some sort of staking and, and other ideas um, to to kind of like create incentives for people to to like ensure that the credit on Sending Future is safe. Mm. Um, yeah. So in, in, in the end, and, and then that's that those are like kind of staking with like basically like reward, like a reward for the work that you perform. Okay, but right now it's issuers pay a fee. Pay, pay transaction fees, yeah, like AOM fee. Um, yeah. Right, and is that, uh, is that the, like, how uh, Centrifuge makes money? Um, we're just starting with that. Um, so it's actually, governance went through this proposal a few months ago and it's going live in, a, in, in one of the next updates. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's how we fund, how we want to fund the development of the protocol. Is that the, the like is that the main kind of business model? Yeah, it's it's a fully decentralized network and we're really mm -hmm. trying to use like the token to coordinate development and kind of um, activity in the ecosystem. So it's like a governance token and it's it, it can kind of control the network. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. the, the model for Sending Future. Very cool. Okay, and then another uh, more specific question is on the uh, polka dot parachain. <laughs> Um, so it looks like the lease is ending. Uh, what are you, are you going to extend it or what are your plans? We are extending the lease, um, definitely. Um, I think one thing we've been working on in the last um, months is to have a very aggressive multi-chain strategy uh, mm -hmm. with the idea that very short um, issuers are using centrifuge chain to kind of like create these loan portfolios and and um, kind of doing a lot of this like heavy lifting but then like investors should have like a native experience of investing on any like l2 and l1 so like we're actually on testing that with arbitrum and base and so it's uh it's very 
it's, it's going to be live in a couple of weeks on mainnet on those two networks that users can actually really access like assets on centrifuge no matter where they are, which I think is really important because um, as an investor, you want to use the ecosystem that you're already on. Um, and, and so like making sure that that really centrifuge assets are everywhere is, is kind of important. Perfect. Um, awesome. And uh, just um, thinking uh, Twitter uh, followers for those a uh, couple of last questions there. Um, and then just uh, wrapping up on, I'd like to end on like the bigger long-term mission for centrifuge. Like where, where do you see the protocol going if everything goes right? Um, I don't know, say in, in 10 years from now. I think uh, 10 years is still a short time in, in the world of finance. Um, but where I want to be in 10 years is that actually we've made, we've de-risked this technology so much that more and more users that are like today not using crypto or think it's too risky, right, become comfortable using it and that we actually have like an, a massive inflow of capital and like kind of increase in activity. And I think like like a five, 10 year timeline, that's actually gonna happen. And it's gonna be really cool because like, like really a lot of the stuff we're doing in DeFi today, it's still too small to really scale, right? And and that's, and, and to make it efficient. And um, I think we're, we're gonna get there. So that's that's like, that's what I'm really excited about kind of over the next couple of years. And ultimately like Centrifuge and that will we'll just like, we want to make sure like real world assets are part of every DeFi protocol, are part of every person, entity's investment strategy and, and kind of like people have a very easy way to get exposure to them. If, if that uh, happens, what will the uh, impact be for, you know, just like regular people? We will get to a point where people will hold tokens like they, they own shares in their Robinhood account, right? And they'll maybe say, oh, like I can get access to assets that I, like many, many of those private credit assets, unless you have half a million dollars and a private banker that will get you access to these, it's actually very hard to get to. Um, so like maybe actually if you like to invest in uh, Portuguese real estate because you think that's going to be a market that has an immense amount of potential, like today it's going to be really hard for you to say, oh, like let me find some Portuguese real estate fund and invest. And then that should become easier, right? With this, this market being more global, being more accessible, being more transparent. And, and so, so like we should enable more and more of these things to happen for, for really anyone, um, small, large investors, institutional retail. Um, I, I really believe that's, that's where it should go. And then on, on the borrower side, I guess, do you think that um, it'll, it, similarly, it'll just like, open uh, that, that, like access to, to greater um, funding and just like greater opportunities? I think so, yes. I mean, the, the, the thing we, many borrowers today have very poor access to money, right? Unless you're one of the largest companies in the world with a team of 100 people that just make sure that your banks are treating you well, um, then you're just dependent on your one bank that you work with to give you a mortgage or give you a loan. Or, mm. And like most often, like the only access to credit people have is like a credit card. Um, and that's, that's That obviously sucks. Like it's, you're, you're left to like, you're at the whim of banks and those banks are not very efficient. They're not really incentivized to give you a good deal. And I do think that like with more, with, with more kind of, with, with it being easier to do these things, I hope there's going to be more competition and ultimately better um, experiences for borrowers. Um, I mean, long term, how I'd, I'd love for DeFi and real world assets to really make an impact and just like, you know, yeah. uh, people broadly, uh, just like the global economy. Um, and then finally, uh, Lucas, how are you defiant? How am I defiant? Uh, I, I would say I go to all of these TradFi events, events and tell them that open blockchains and DeFi is the only future and that they better look at it and try to figure out how to work with it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I love it. And yeah, I agree. Let's see uh, if, if they listen to you before it's too late. Well, the ones that get it will survive. The ones that don't, 
want. <laughs> Amazing. Lucas, this was so interesting. Uh, really, uh, thank you for just, you know, walking me through step by step how all of this works. I, I think um, there's there's so much uh, activity happening, uh, even kind of in, in the bear market. Uh, and I'd love to see this specific use case within DeFi uh, picking up. And you guys ha have been uh, one of the, the leaders in, in this um I don't. I, I don't even want to call it a trend, but in this kind of use case, that's yeah. that that'll be key going forward. So, yeah. Thanks again for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you for all the great questions. Always always nice to chat with you. We're looking forward to next time. What how it will change in the next time we chat. Yeah. Um, yes, we'll have to do a follow up. <laughs> all right. Thanks again. Hey, thank you very much. Have a good one.